Unlock the past and safeguard your memories with ScanMyPhotos.com. Here's our special promo code, GODIGITAL, to get a whopping up to 50% off your photo scanning order. Don't let your cherished moments fade away. Digitize them now with precision and care. Whether it's old slides, photos, or films, bring them into the digital age and relive those precious memories. This is an affiliate promotion, meaning we may earn a commission if you take advantage of this fantastic deal. Act fast, preserve your history, and save big with Go Digital at ScanMyPhotos.com. I'm Maureen Taylor, the photo detective. I really love family photographs, all of them, from the mystery images you find in shoeboxes and albums to the pictures you snap with your digital devices. No mystery is too small. A simple question about an image can lead to new stories of your ancestors. This means you can count on me to help you identify the people in them, offer solutions for preserving and organizing them, and yes, even guide you in the various ways to gather and share picture stories with your relatives. Welcome to The Photo Detective, where we cover historical image analysis, genealogy, and how to work with your family photo collection. In amateur snapshots and selfies, we don't take care with our fashion. We pose in what we decided to wear that day. Now think about when you go to a photo studio. That's entirely different. We dress up, and our ancestors did too. They wore their best dress and perhaps a new hat to look their finest, the epitome of the fashion they could afford. Women's magazines told them how to capture a good image, and rules often came down to color, fashion, and the skill of the photographer. You've probably wondered why your ancestor wore a particular outfit for their portrait or why they held their hands a certain way. I have three pieces to read to you. One is from May 1849, and it's the experiences of someone going to the daguerreotype studio. A second is about going to the studio in 1888, and you'll see how different that is. And then an article I found about dressing rooms that I hope will put to rest the myth that photo studios had bins and closets full of clothing for our ancestors to wear. Let's start with the Godey's Ladies Book, a monthly fashion magazine. This is from May 1849. The different impressions made upon sitters is curious enough. The most common is the illusion that the instrument exercises a kind of magnetic attraction, and many good ladies feel their eyes drawn towards the lens while the operation is in progress. Others perceive an impression as if a draft of cold air were blowing on their faces, while a few are affected with a prickling sensation, while the perspiration starts from every pore. A sense of suffocation is a common feeling among persons of delicate nerves and lively fancies, who find it next to impossible to sit still, and on leaving the chair they catch their breath and pant as if they had been in a vacuum. No wonder so many daguerreotypes have a strange, surprised look or an air as if the original was ill at ease in his or her mind. 
Of course, these various impressions are all the result of an excited imagination and an effort to sit perfectly still and look composed. Forced ease is an actual constraint and must appear so. In daguerreotype portraits, this is particularly apparent. In order to obtain a good picture, it is necessary to go to a daguerreotypist who has the eye and taste of an artist or who employs such a person in their establishment. And it is also necessary to dress in colors that do not reflect too much light. For a lady, a good dress is of some dark or figured material. White, pink, or light blue must be avoided. Lace work or a scarf or shawl sometimes adds much to the beauty of the picture. A gentleman should wear a dark vest and a cravat. For children, a plaid or dark striped or figured dress is preferred by most daguerreotypists. Light dresses are in all cases to be avoided. The strong shadows that appear in daguerreotype portraits are a sad annoyance to many who, like Queen Elizabeth, see no such blemish on their faces when they consult their mirrors. Can't you take me a likeness without these dark places? asks the lady who sees with surprise a dirty mark under her nose, around her eyes, under her chin, or on the side of her cheek. There is nothing like this on my face. Why is my neck so black? asks another. A lady with a fair skin, upon which the sun has left some minute brown marks, which are almost hidden by the warm flush of health, is startled to find them faithfully recorded in her picture, and made so dark as to appear like serious blemishes. What are these? There is nothing like them on my face, she inquires with a look of disappointment. The artist cannot tell her that the face is freckled, and so makes some evasive excuse and tries the experiment again, but with no better success. For the all-discovering light will make no discrimination. The little black specks are still there, and the lady goes away with a poor conceit of the daguerreotypist, who, though he could make the light work for him, could not force it to record anything but the truth. Delicate hands are particularly desired, and these, the artists who attend the instrument, can give by placing them so as to receive the light in a certain way. In fact, nearly all peculiarities of person that tend towards deformity may be modified by a skillful artist in the arrangement of a sitter. So let's fast forward 40 years to 1888, which is the beginning of amateur photography. But people are still going to the photo studio, and this time they're sitting for cabinet cards and card photographs. This is advice from the 1888 Photographic Times and American Photographer magazine in an article called The Art of Dressing for a Photograph. If you wish for a picture that looks just like you, then wear your everyday dress and comb your hair in the usual way. The everyday dress has a charm of its own. It is worn to the form. In it, you feel natural and at home. Any change from the usual dress or arrangement of the hair is to a certain extent a disguise. But if you want pictures to please and flatter you, the arrangement of draperies is a matter of great importance. To answer the question, what shall I wear? Most young ladies are going to have a picture taken, and they wear a black dress with black lace around the neck. In almost every case, this is a wrong idea. Let me explain. A blonde 
with, of course, light hair, eyes, and complexion, goes dressed in a plain black to the photographer. A light object makes an impression upon the photographic plate much quicker than a dark one. The poor photographer has only a choice of two evils. On the one hand, if he makes an exposure suitable only for her face, the dress is a mess of undefined blackness. On the other, if he studies her dress, the face is spoiled. In either case, the picture is harsh and unpleasing. Now, if she had put white lace around her neck, it would have softened down the violent contrast and a pleasing and artistic picture be the result. Violent contrasts in dress should always be avoided. Besides, all black gives the picture a somber, mournful look and makes a lady look old. The more white and bright color used, the younger a lady looks. The great object in dress is to secure harmony between the complexion and the costume. Or if a dashing appearance is desired, artistic but not violent contrasts. The best colors are those which take of a medium or dark gray shade, such as navy blue, purple, slate, orange, buff, crimson, scarlet, slate, etc., but pink, lilac, and all the light shades of blue take bad. White, partly covered with black lace, makes one of the prettiest costumes for a young lady. The best material for a dress is woolen, velvet, or cotton in the order mentioned. They drape in artistic folds and take in harmonious colors. Starched dresses, which make stiff, ungainly wrinkles, and highly finished silk, and all goods with a glossy surface, which reproduce itself in ugly white spots, should not be used. Never pile up lace around the neck so as to cover up all the lines of the shoulders. It gives a round-shouldered, almost deformed look. Drooping shoulders can be remedied by a small pad placed on the shoulder blades under the dress. In fixing up for a picture, it is best to pad out the dress so it will set smooth over a well-rounded form. It appears in the 1880s that women also worried about how they should arrange their hair for their picture. So the Photographic Times and American Photographer magazine had advice. Everyone has noticed what a difference in a lady's looks can be made by a slight change in the arrangement of her hair. A long, thin face can be made to appear much broader and fuller by combing the hair flat on the top of the head and bringing it down in bangs or waves low on the forehead. Puffs on the side of the head increase this effect. Here's a note. The 1880s was the era of the bang. But in most cases, the best style for a picture is to arrange the hair in braids or coils upon the top of the head, the higher the better, with waves in the front. A few white buds or flowers in black hair add much to the picturesqueness. If young ladies would study the arrangement of the hair as seen in the pictures of noted beauties in the illustrated papers, they would soon get an idea how to increase their good looks in many cases to a wonderful extent. Here's another note. So our ancestors were aware of how their fashion icons looked from these illustrated papers and then wanted to look like them, dress like them, and fix their hair like them for their own portraits. Back to the article. The artists of all times have united in calling the following styles of dressing the head the most perfect. Cover the head with a large but becoming hat. 
surmounted by a long white plume. Let the hair fall in waving masses over the shoulders so as to gradually melt into the draperies of the finished picture. A glance into the art galleries of our city shows this to be the style most used by our most famous artists when wishing to represent the highest degree of female beauty. The bow windows of our best city photographers give evidence that city ladies have found out that this great truth and used it with most charming effect in their pictures. It gives a pleasing and artistic finish to the picture, such as no other style can do. By the proper arrangement of draperies and cunning effects is light and shade. The skilled photographer can transform a plain, awkward girl into a glowing beauty and still retain the natural likeness. Never use powder or paint upon the face. This is very important. The lenses now used by first-class photographers are so powerful that every pore in the skin can be seen in the negative, as plainly as if the face were viewed under a strong microscope. It is plain that if part of the skin is covered with paint, it will produce lines and spots on the negative difficult to remove. No matter how rough the face is or how badly spotted, freckled, or pimpled, a skillful retoucher can take them all off and leave the pictured face as clear and smooth as the face of an infant. But some of the effects sometimes caused by powder upon the face cannot be entirely removed. Besides, a powdered face never takes so brilliant as a clean one. Isn't that interesting? Because in 1915, I found an article in the Photographic Journal that talks about the dressing room. So you can see through these three articles the evolution of posing for a picture in a photo studio. 1849, it was all about not wearing light colors. 1888, there's even more advice about what to wear. And of course, no makeup on the face. But in 1915, in an article called The Dressing Room, here's what a typical dressing room looked like or what they thought a dressing room in a photo studio should look like for women. Here we go. The so-called dressing room of most of the photographic studios is usually a hole in the wall, a little spot taken off from some other room, dimly lighted and poorly furnished. Isn't that a mistake? In the large cities, some of the studios have made a wonderful success of the photographic business, both in artistic work and in the business end of it. They have dressing rooms, the most beautifully furnished, lighted, and equipped of any of the rooms in their studio. 99% of the sitters who visit the ordinary studio cannot get a favorable impression when they step into the dressing room of the average photographic studio. Brushes, combs, powder boxes, puffs, etc. in the average dressing room are not kept in a condition which would permit the ordinary person to use them. In fact, the average dressing room is a dressing room in name only. We are in favor of a larger dressing room, well-ventilated, well-lighted, carefully and tastefully furnished, and arranged in every way, a perfect restroom where the sitters may wait until they are wanted in the operating room, a room furnished better in every way and in every respect more inviting than the reception room, a room that will impress the sitters so that when they leave the same, they will leave it with a smile and a feeling of contentment. The dressing table should always have a clean cover. The mirror should always be polished, hairbrush and comb cleaned, plenty of water, towels, etc. Just look into your own dressing room, then compare it with your own home, 
and see if you think this is an inviting place. Of course, we know what you will say, that the rent is high, you haven't the space. This may be true, but the more business you can do, the more rent you can pay. The better impression you can make upon your customers, the more they will advertise your studio to their friends, and the oftener they will come to you for sittings. If you can have only one bright spot in your whole studio, then let it be your dressing room. So the next time you look at a photograph of an ancestor, particularly a female ancestor, consider what the studio looked like. Was there a dressing room? Did they have powder? What did they wear? All of these decisions were made before they sat for the portrait. And sometimes you can actually see their discomfort. You can see the discomfort on their faces, especially with daguerreotypes. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media. Leave me a rating and a review. And if you know of a friend or family member who's also interested in family photographs, share this episode with them too. See you next time. I'm thrilled to be offering something new. Photo Investigations. These collaborative one-on-one sessions look at your family photos. You and I meet to discuss your mystery images and find out how each clue and hint might contribute to your family history. And trust me, these images can reveal so much in your research. I have decades of experience in the photo, genealogy, and history industries. This is your chance to learn from me and discover the stories in your family images. You can find out more by going to MaureenTaylor.com and clicking on Family Photo Investigations.